tuning in to the 188th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me in the show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, or whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, as always, and a great podcast for you guys today. I've been Karen, host of the Sports Call the Podcast, to... Talk about some NFL storylines. We'll get into some of the new head coaching hires. Brian Flores, he's signing a lawsuit against the NFL for racial discrimination. Uh, Tom Brady retired. A lot of stuff went down in the NFL. Also, we're going to talk some college football. Jim Harbaugh, he decides to stay in Michigan, uh, as well as some other news and tidbits. People are alleging Jimbo Fisher, Ben Karen's Texas A&M Aggies are, you know, maybe abusing the NIL. So, we're going to have, and Caleb Williams, former Oklahoma QB, signs uh, with the USC Trojans, and uh, he's going to be with Lincoln Riley. So, a lot to talk about in the NFL and college football today in terms of just storylines. Uh, so, I'm literally looking forward to seeing Ben's opinion on all of those different varieties. Uh, thanks. Now, before we get to Ben, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically on Spotify. I have timestamps. Click on the timestamps and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. It is for your convenience, folks. Follow me on Twitter at Nitrant underscore Lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. You will find that I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't have the pod, then don't worry. Just don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, with Tom Brady retiring, I'm going to cut to a audio. This is about a 10 to 12 minute audio clip of a take I had and I think the year 2018 2017 I was a sophomore in college like one of the first like 2025 episodes of Barbershop Sports Talk I ever did and I was talking about Tom Brady and greatness and I think it's very important to talk about this because it's kind of an old clip of audio and Tom Brady just retired it's about appreciating greatness uh, so I want everybody to have a listen and there's a funny thing about greatness. A lot of the time we don't realize it when it's staring at us in the face. And lots of the times we have a problem admitting it. Like, everybody hates greatness. And, and I, I've never understood it. We hate Duke basketball with Mike Krzyzewski. We hate Alabama football with Nick Saban. We hate the New York Yankees. We hate the Los Angeles Lakers. We hate the Boston Bruins. We hate the New England Patriots. We hate the Pittsburgh Steelers. We hate all these teams. We hate all of it. Why? Because they're great. But but why can't we just appreciate it? Alabama football, we will never see a run that Nick Saban has done. Nick Saban has dominated college football in a way we will never see. Again, dominated. We don't appreciate it. 
we, we don't we don't appreciate greatness. We focus and we nitpick on the wrong things. Perfect example. A radio contributor for a Boston for a Boston radio station. He decided to call Tom Brady's five year old daughter a pissant. A pissant. A five year old little girl a pissant. Now, first you'd be taken aback, like, what, what what the hell is wrong? Grown man doing that. It's another dig at Tom Brady. And, and actually, when he called him a pissant, just to go on a slight tangent, you got to stop harming the kids, man, talking about the kids. If people knew the stuff I was doing when I was like five years old, listen, I was doing crazy stuff when I was little. Crazy stuff. I couldn't, I couldn't even tie my shoes when I was five years old. I, don't even, I still think I would learn how to do a little bunny loop. You know, <laughs> I almost blinded my little brother when I was two years old because I was pouring powder in his eyes. So people had me on camera and had the old world to me. People would be saying a lot of stuff about me. They just would be. Thankfully, my mom never had me on a Facebook live show. To have my life out there and have me subject to criticism. But Tom, Tom Brady did. But you don't disrespect the man's daughter and it gets to this whole thing. And I, and I feel like when people were using somebody like Tom Brady's little daughter, his little girl, to get at Tom Brady. Why? I get it. You hate Tom Brady. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. So you know I ain't got that, that much love for Tom. I, I love Tom and I respect him as a player, but I'm not, you know. Tom, Tom has torched my team many of times. Many of times. But I, I know to respect what I see. You know, I always say this. I see better than I hear. And all I see is this man just coming out there at 40 years old, at 40 years of age, and just killing it. And I get it. You hate Tom Brady, the supermodel wife. You think he's arrogant. You think he's cocky. All he does is win. You might even think he is a cheater, even if you think that. I say, who the hell cares? Do you not see this man ball every Sunday? Forget about all the stuff you hate about him for a second and just think about it and appreciate this man's greatness. Since 2001, when Tom Brady has been the star for the New England Patriots, five Super Bowls, eight Super Bowl appearances, 11 AFC Championship game appearances, 14 division titles, 27 playoff wins, and a league that is geared towards parity. The NFL has a hard salary cap. You can franchise players. Players can get hurt. This league is, this isn't like the NBA when I was just talking about the Golden State Warriors where you can just build these super teams. It doesn't work like that in football. And he has dominated the sport at the highest level for almost 20 years, 18 years. He's dominated it. Tom Brady has transcended the game of football. Only one player, Charles Haley, has five Super Bowl rings. The next closest quarterback compared to Brady with playoff wins is Joe Montana. Now, I'm just going to say this. Let me repeat this again. Tom Brady has 27 playoff wins. And Joe Montana, we have so much respect for him. Four-time Super Bowl champion, right? In my opinion, the second greatest quarterback ever. Joe Montana has 16 playoff wins. Tom Brady has 27. That He's lapping Joe Montana. The Patriots have five Super Bowl 
wins as a franchise. They are second all-time behind the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers have been accumulating their championship rings, their championship banners, since the 60s. Chuck Knoll and all of them. This original Steel Kurt, Terry Bradshaw. All the way to the 2000s now. Tom Brady just came on the scene and you started winning rings and won five rings in under a 20-year span. A 20-year span. It takes most franchises decades to get a Super Bowl ring. Decades. It just doesn't happen. And just as a side note, if Tom Brady didn't have to go to Mile High a couple of years ago when he played the Denver Broncos that year with Peyton Manning and they won the Super Bowl and they beat the Carolina Panthers, and it was in Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Tom Brady wins that game. And then you know what Tom Brady would have done? And if you're a Bills fan out there, you'll appreciate this. Tom Brady would have gone to four straight Super Bowls. So the only another team the Buffalo Bills would have done. And he could be in position to win his fourth straight Super Bowl. Because the Broncos gave it to the Panthers. Tom Brady could, like, that is how great this man is. And I can't deny it. I cannot deny it in good conscience hating on this man. The spectacular performances. Upsetting the greatest show on turf. In your second year. Weren't even a starter for the whole year. And you upset the greatest show on turf. Kurt Warner, Hall of Fame quarterback. Marshall Falk, Hall of Fame running back. One of maybe the best all-purpose running back ever. Isaac Bruce. Torrey Holt, Hall of Fame receivers. Mike Martz, one of the greatest offensive minds to ever play the game of football. Tom Brady torched the Legion of Boom, throwing for 328 yards and four touchdowns, down in four, by 14 points in the fourth quarter. Passes for two touchdowns, unanswered, 14 points, win the game. He did all that against Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, Bobby Wagner, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, K.J. Wright. Gave it to them. Gave him the business. Seahawks haven't looked right since that Super Bowl. Since that Super Bowl, the Seahawks haven't been right. <laughs> the Patriots came back from 28-3, down against the Atlanta Falcons. A game that I was in shock when I saw was just, my face was like, oh, did that really happen? This man is the GOAT. Like, you, you cannot make this stuff up. It is almost impossible to play, to come back on a team like that. Atlanta is a dome team built to have the lead. And Tom Brady's like, we got this. And Matt Ryan was cringing on the sidelines because he knew. He's pressing, he's pressing. And that's when I think the, the, the high tower strip set came because you know why he was so scared? Because he's new. If 12 gets back on that field, number 12 gets back on that field, Tom Brady, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Matt Ryan was the MVP of the league that year. And he's pressing because he knows who he knows what Tom Brady represents. AFC Championship game, the last game the Patriots played against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tom Brady threw for 138 yards in the fourth quarter. 
against the hottest young defense in the NFL, Jalen Ramsey, Clayus Campbell, A.J. Boye, Miles Jack, Dante Fowler, Telvin Smith. And the most impressive thing of all, Tom Brady has found a way to stave off father time. He's 40 years old. I just, I just want to say this again. He's a 40-year-old man. And, and let me read you his numbers. First in the NFL in passing yards, through over 4,000. Fifth in the NFL in completion percentage. Fifth in the NFL in yards per attempt. Third in touchdowns. Third in passer rating. And first in passing yards per game. That's crazy. Every game, Tom Brady now steps onto the field. From here until he retires, every game, he will be breaking history. He will be breaking and he will be making history. Nobody's played at this high of a level at this age. No one. Brett Favre was about done at 39 in the bounty bowl of the New Orleans Saints when they beat the piss out of him. And Tom Brady keeps getting hit and hit, and he keeps getting back up. And he just throws a party all over you. And he does it without a deep, a deep threat. He doesn't have an extraordinary deep threat except for Randy Moss that one year. He does it with Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola, Wes Welker, Chris Hogan. He does it with slot receivers. That's what he's done it with. I, I told someone this. This is how great Tom Brady is. And this is how much we need to appreciate it. I never got to see Michael Jordan play basketball. I never got to see Babe Ruth play baseball. I never got to see Wayne Gretzky play hockey. I never saw Muhammad Ali box. But you know what I can say? I saw Tom Brady play football. And man, oh man, has it been a pleasure to see him play football. We will never see a run like this again. This is like the Murders Row New York Yankees with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig when they dominated the 1920s and 1930s. Bill Russell when he won 11 championship rings with the Boston Celtics. Michael Phelps, 28 Olympic medals. This is what this is. This doesn't happen. Greatness is a very special thing. So put some respect on Tom Brady's name. If I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, and I can do that, why can't you? And cut up next on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Ben Karen, host of the Sports Caller Podcast. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Ben Karen with us. He's a father, husband, son, school psychologist, Texas A&M Aggie, former resident of Vermont, current resident of Arizona, fan of all bird teams, hater of the Rams, the 49ers, in the Cardinals, Ben Karen, host of Sports Caller Podcast. How you doing, Ben? 
I'm doing great tonight, Daryl. Happy to be on here talking with you. And and not a Matt Stafford fan, by the way. Ben is not a Matt Stafford fan. Well, no, I've never disliked Matt. I, I'm just trying to be objective here because America's lost their mind when it comes to this guy. So, let's start with this. Brian Flores files a lawsuit against the NFL for racial discrimination. When you, how, first of all, how shocking was this story when it came out? Because I was floored when I saw this. I thought it was a joke. Well, I was pretty shocked by it, Daryl, to be honest with you. Um, it uh, makes a really bold statement, I think, when, when the man is still in the middle of potentially interviewing for head coaching jobs. Uh, and we know that doing stuff like this uh, has big ramifications for uh, his future as a head coach in the NFL, more than likely. Uh, so I was just shocked he was um, willing to kind of take all his chips and move them to the center of the table on this. But it sounds like he just he has a lot of conviction with what he uh, believes and, and the change that he believes he's going to be able to possibly create from doing this. So my own thought on this is a couple things. First of all, I think Brian, I don't I don't want to minimize his feelings about discrimination, but I think when he brings up things like uh, the incident with he's on the yacht with the owner, Stephen Ross, a quarterback problem, I think they're saying it's Tom Brady, nobody knows for sure, that's tampering, and then he leaves because Brian Flores didn't feel comfortable with the situation, the being paid uh, thousands of dollars to lose games, which I know probably hurt your soul when you heard that one, Ben. And, you know, just the other stuff, all that stuff has nothing to do with racial discrimination. It's just tampering with the game, which seems to me like he wants to get back at Stephen Ross, the Miami Dolphins, to get those guys in trouble because he feels like they wronged him by firing him. Yeah, no, I think to some degree uh, that's absolutely what he's trying to do. Uh, and if some of his claims are true, where Stephen Ross is trying to entice him with $100,000 for every loss, I, I would say he has every right to, to be upset with them and uh, to kind of come back at them. Um, I, and, and I agree with you in, in, in that specific instance. I'm not sure that that particular part of this is a racial thing, although, you know, um, that kind of depends on, on each person's kind of point of view and and how they see this. I think that's like you're in a bad relationship. You're in a relationship. The relationship ends. And then because it ends, you start exposing stuff about that other person after the relationship ends. And, and that could be. I mean, I think there are, there are people out there that could say, well, well, wait a second. You know, would, would they have still tried to... Um, Live, you know, a white coach into losing games uh, for, for large payouts. Um, you know, I think there are some people that, that might argue that that might not be the case. Uh, so I'm wondering if that's a, a potential, um, you know, nexus here between uh, the concerns with the racism and, and also um, the integrity of the game concerns. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. How much did it bother you when you heard the $100,000 for every loss? How much did that bother you? Because I know, Ben, you're somebody who cares a lot about winning games. And you always mention that when we talk. You're like, when Jacksonville hired Doug Peterson, you're like, I guess they want to win Super Bowls. 
it frustrates you when it seems like that's not the goal in mind. You're always like, the goal is to win the game. So how does that make you feel when you hear an owner telling a coach, a thousand per loss, like I, I'm going to pay you an exorbitant amount of money to lose games, to basically throw games? Well, it, it's concerning. And if it's true, you know, I think you should probably be out of the role of, of, of owner. I think you should be forced out. Um, obviously, it's concerning for the integrity of the game of football. I'm sure the Miami Dolphins fan base is not happy to hear that, especially when we know that they're already having a harder time than most places getting people into the stadium. Um, and then I also I feel bad for Brian Flores. Here's a guy that's worked hard probably his entire life to get uh, into the position of head coach for an NFL team. And this is what he's having to deal with. And as they sit there and they're trying to bribe him, this man who loves football, wants to be a head coach, is, is watching his career go down the drain as a result. Because, yeah, if he does take the payment and he loses the games, he knows he's eventually going to get fired probably as the head coach. And then he might not get another opportunity. Well, I think that's sad, too. And then he looks like the fool because he's losing games on purpose, which is, I, I also believe, why he didn't really, you know, go for that. Uh, and it probably did offend him that that would be offered, because I know if that was offered to you, Ben, you would feel offended. Oh, absolutely. So I think that's probably the split of him and Miami right there, how things started being rocked. Because I imagine after that, that relationship could have never been the same. Uh, now with this. Uh, you know, the Bill Belichick text. Do you think it was out of line for him to reveal private conversations with Bill Belichick? Well, I'm not sure that Bill's ever going to have that level of trust with him again. Um, as far as it being out of line, I, I think the man has just reached a level of frustration for what's going on and how he perceives things to be, um, where he just kind of, kind of exploded and he said, hey, I'm not... I, you know, I'm, I might burn some bridges in the process, but I strongly believe that things need to change. Um, so I, I guess as far as uh, trying to accomplish his goal, I don't think it's out of line, but I do think it'll impact that relationship he has with Coach Belichick moving forward. Do you think Brian, Brian was a little bit too quick to file this lawsuit? Because we mentioned this, there's still jobs open. I think... Even if he didn't get a job this cycle, we all would have thought he would have got a job eventually. I think most of us think that. The Texans job, there's the Nick Casario connection, who is the GM now, who is a uh, worked with the Patriots and worked with Brian Flores. Brian Flores is a finalist for that job. Uh, it seems like the New York Giants draw, like that whole thing when he thought it was a token interview, was probably like his thing where it just maybe set him over the edge. But from a, advising him from a legal perspective, wouldn't you have to wait till everything cleared up at least for this year before you made your move? Because now he just hit the nuclear button before he had all of his options. Well, I think basically in his mind what happened was he just reached a point in time where he is so sick and tired of what was going on that he that he said, you know what, whether I coach or not again does not matter to me. I'm going for this right here in this moment. This is what I believe is going to make the game of football better um, for everybody long term. Going to you know fighting for that equality, um, and you know I, I think there there was just some incident somewhere, whether it was with Denver or with the Giants, to just send him over the edge. 
Yeah, and he alleged some stuff about John Elway that John Elway was drinking. I mean, he came after some big people. Like, this is a... It's no little thing. Do you think that there was racial discrimination going on, in your opinion? Well... From from what I've seen, you know, just uh, as as a whole, um, as a fan of the NFL for a long time... Um, I, I would probably lean more towards yes than no, um, but it's always a hard thing to diagnose. You look, you look at Flores, Flores was fairly successful in Miami. I think you and I were a little bit surprised when they let him go. Um, well, now, I, I mean... personally felt that um, he, he at least was deserving of getting one more year with those guys. Um, but then, you know, you look at um, other... Other things have happened, Bill, you know, over the course of time uh, in the NFL. You know, Jim Caldwell kind of in a similar position a number of years ago. Um, you know, David Culley, we thought, well, I personally thought kind of performed with the Texans. Uh, they fired him. Um, you know, just just lots of um, lots of things kind of adding up where I think it, it, it at least raises eyebrows for people and when you do see the uh, players, and, and I believe the percentage is, I believe it's about 73% black players in the NFL, Daryl. Um, and you, know, you only have one black head coach right now, Mike Tomlin. Of course, we know he's a really good coach. Um, it does make you kind of stop and question that. You know, what is, what is going on here? Um, you know, now it does sound too like, um, I'll just say this is a side note, uh, it sounds like Byron Leftwich was in consideration for the Jacksonville job, and it sounds like he kind of removed his name because he might not want to work with the GM or something of that nature. Um, but still, I mean, you know, you, you look around, and, and certainly um, black coaches are, are not getting uh, a lot of the uh, coaching opportunities, if you will. And, and I think there's a couple things to point out. Now, I, I want to go back to the Miami thing quickly. I think now that we're seeing how this transfolded, transfolded obvi- and transpired, obviously Brian Flores and Stephen Ross's relationship wasn't good. Because if what he's alleging took place, if the owner right offered him $1,000 to tank and Brian Flores said no, to me, either way, that ends that, that kills that relationship either way. Is that not fair to say? I think it's definitely fair to say. So I think that would make more sense to how Brian Flores could be fired because obviously billionaires don't like being told no by millionaires, right? Is that a fair assumption? They don't like being told no by anybody. Yes. So I, I, I could imagine that particularly if Stephen Ross invited him on his yacht, he's probably thinking Brian Flores is cool with this, the QB's there, and Brian Flores is like, no, I'm not with this and leaves. I'm sure that when you do that to your boss, the guy who can't fire you, that could probably lead to some personal feelings going there. That maybe not even be racial, it's just how you feel about somebody. And the same with Brian Flores. I also will say this, the Miami Dolphins GM is black and Chris Greer, who we had a falling out with as well. Now I want to get to this in terms of the whole thing about just one black coach. Now, yes, Mike Tomlin is the only black coach. We also have Robert Sala and Ron Rivera, who are both minorities, uh, who are head coaches in the NFL as well. I think the biggest issue is the pipeline. Uh, how do you become a head coach? You start as a GA. Uh, I just don't think there are enough GAs who are black at these colleges. Because that's how everybody gets their start for the most part. 
almost all these coaches, they were graduate assistants. And then they worked their way up and they were off as a quality control guy. That's how all of them get it. So I think that's more of the issue than necessarily. I think we're looking at the end result as well as like the origin of how all this is going on. Because of the existing pool of candidates, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that is a good argument too when you look at the you know number of GAs and trying to maybe um, you know kind of even even things out at, at, at that level um, for the pipeline moving forward I think that makes a lot of sense or maybe it's even internships or you know stuff like that I because if you're looking at the existing pool just there's just more white coaches <laughs> there's just more white coaches now I do also will say this. It is disturbing how somebody like Eric Bieniemy hasn't gotten a job. That's always oh, been weird. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even if you look at him and, you know, he's not the most charismatic guy in the room. Well, there are a lot of head coaches right now that are not very charismatic. Um, you know, Nick Sirianni with the Eagles, for instance. Uh, you know, even Coach Belichick with the Patriots. Um, but we, we know Bieniemy is... Actually, call the plays for the Chiefs. So, um, and we've seen how successful they've been on offense these last few years. It's mind-boggling that uh, he hasn't been able to secure a job. But even, you know, to Brian Flores' point about the Giants having their uh, having made a decision before he even interviewed, I'm sure that happened. To be honest, I'm sure they had their minds that they were having Brian Dable before Brian Flores. I don't know again if that's like a race thing because. There are other white coaches who interviewed, just like Brian Flores did before. You know, they already had their mindset that Brian Dable was their guy. I just think they were set that Brian Dable is their guy. They wanted offensive guy to develop Daniel Jones. That's a guy they're going to keep in New York. Obviously, they love him. He survived a few coaching regimes there, uh, and they wanted to be successful, right? And we saw Brian Flores did to a guy like Tua Tagovailoa was pulling him in and out of games, and that also probably rubbed Stephen Ross the wrong way when he's like, I drafted this guy, and you're pulling him in and out of games. Even though Brian Flores is winning, I'm sure the owner did not like that. Uh, you know, probably that's not the best way for a team that has a young QB that they're trying to grow. So, like, when we are always talking about, like, is, if, you know, it was already decided Brian Dable was going to be the coach, yeah, it probably was. I don't know if that's, again, a race thing, though. And also, I think a lot of that happens with a lot of candidates in the NFL, for the most part. I don't think it's truly going down to the finalists. It's like, oh, I think there's always a favorite. Well, that that, that might be, but, you know, <laughs> at the same point in time, uh, I think you got to keep an open mind and and uh, really consider uh, the people that you're, you're bringing in for interviews before you kind of go out and make a final decision. Because otherwise, aren't you just wasting their time and yours? Well, I think that they also do that because of the Rooney Rule, because they have to. Which maybe that's maybe that's the bad thing about the Rooney Rule. You shouldn't force somebody to be who they want to bring in, because they're going to hire who they want to hire. Therefore, though, you're only doing it out of obligation, not because you're actually really considering the candidate. Yes. And I guess I'm arguing you should really consider any candidate you're bringing in. You know, I mean. Well, at least give him an opportunity to interview. But it's like, for example, like Heinz Ward interviewed for one of these jobs. Heinz Ward's like a 
a wide receiver coach like at the Citadel. Heinz Ward wasn't getting a job as a head coach. Well, I mean, we, we, we say that, but I mean, McConnell... Yeah, that is true, McConnell. Yeah, actually, quickly, quickly on this. How shameful, how, how crazy would it be if, if Josh McCown really ended up being a head coach next year? How inappropriate would it be for you, Ben? I would say it'd be pretty inappropriate, Daryl. I mean, however, the trend seems to be we're, we're just going to hand out head coaching jobs to guys that might not really deserve them. <laughs> honestly, like, I mean, just from what I'm seeing, like, I mean, Kevin McConnell getting a job, the guy doesn't even call the plays for the Rams. I'm not exactly sure what Kevin McConnell does as the uh, offensive coordinator. Well, considering that he doesn't call the plays, I, I certainly wouldn't be wouldn't be picking him up for a head coaching job like the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, well, I'll pu- I'll push back on that one a little bit. I think, right? Just because you're not the play caller, I'm sure he's involved in their offensive like uh, their offensive preparation in the week. Though he's not calling the plays, but but I'm sure he has a heavy you know correlations you know what type of plays they're calling i'm sure he gives sean mcveigh ideas I'm, I'm sure they're they're collaborating a lot and, and i'm and sure he's he not even been around very long daryl i mean this isn't like a nathaniel hackett type situation where the guy's been an oc for you know five plus years i mean well i have more of an issue with mccown than o'connell yeah, well, I have an issue with McConnell, too. I couldn't believe that they picked him over Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> Did that bothers you, Ben? Ben, I told you, they don't care about the Super Bowls, Ben. I, look, <laughs> and, and I will say this about Jim. You know, from everything you ever hear about him, he wears people out. You can kind of tell just from how he acts on the sidelines he wears people out. I'm not here to defend the behavior all the time, but the man did coach in the NFL for four years, and he went to the NFC Championship in three out of four seasons, and he's Super Bowl in one out of those. You mean to tell me that out of all these teams in the NFL, they're looking to hire somebody, nobody would want to roll the dice on a guy like Jim Harbaugh and say, okay, I'll just factor in the fact he's going to wear us out in four years and he might have a short run here. But in the process, we might make a conference championship and possibly a Super Bowl. Josh McDaniels is going to... wouldn't do that? The Texans wouldn't be interested in that? The Jaguars? I don't think they are. I don't think they are. Now, let's go to this. Josh McDaniels hired as their new Raiders coach. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think they did Rich Bishash a uh, disservice by not keeping him around. I was pretty impressed with how he coached the team. I thought he was the guy for the job, potentially. Um, I can see the allure of Josh uh, McDaniels there. He worked uh, in New England for a lot of years. We know he spent one season. Uh, is the head coach of uh, I think it's actually Logan Morgan's two, it's two. Denver Broncos. He, he drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. <laughs> Eleven and seventeen is a is a head coach. Um, you know, that was a long time ago now. That's about ten years ago, I think. Um, 
So, you know, I, I can understand where they're coming from, but at the end of the day, I just didn't think it was the right fit. You bring kind of a, a guy that's kind of been known, Bill, over the course of time to be a little bit unstable. Um, you know, we saw that when he was the head coach in Denver. We saw it again when he was um, announced as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts and then decided he wasn't going to do it. So we take a guy that's slightly unstable and we bring him into probably one of the most unstable, crazy franchises in the entire NFL. And I just can't, I don't see this working. And not only do I not see it working, I think he'll be out in like one or two years maximum. And I think he's probably going to have a losing record when, when he when he leaves. Um, when I'm looking at the AFC West, there's a good chance the Raiders are finishing in last place next year, Daryl. You look around, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, probably going on two against them every year for the foreseeable future. Um, not as high on Justin Herbert as you are, Daryl, but, you know, probably probably safe to say you're going to go 0-2 against the Chargers. And then if, if you know, Denver has the Daniel Hackett deal, some people think the Broncos are going to be the front runners to score Aaron Rodgers. And if that happens, you're probably going 0-2 against the Broncos, Daryl. So I, I just... I'm not sure uh, Josh McDaniels, the personality, fits with the, with the organization. And then I just, to be frank with you, Dale, I don't think it's a real great um, situation for a head coach to walk into, period. Mm. I think it's just a very hard place to have success as a head coach, especially well, when you look at this division over the next couple of years. Well, number one, I'm excited because we're going to have two John Carroll guys as head coaches in the NFC West and the AFC West. Staley and McDaniel, so that's going to be pretty cool. So we need to look at the positives, Ben. It could be the John Carroll division, right? Well, I'm pretty sure it's Patrick Mahomes' division. Oh, no, 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 no. Soon we're going to have Staley and McDaniels duking it out for the number one in the division. No Patrick Mahomes. Be enemy, read those guys are old news. It's all John Carroll then. What about what about if your guy Aaron goes to the uh, the Denver Broncos? You know that guy, early exit Aaron. <laughs> Don't do that, Ben. That, that's disrespectful. Don't do that. Do you think they would fire McDaniel's after one year? Because I think he's going to have at least three to get this together. I, I think they're I think they're going to give him two years at least minimum. Um. However, if if, um, if uh, Aaron does end up, you know, a Denver Bronco, I, I think it's going to be two and out for him. So, Adam Gase, he's reportedly going to be the next Patriots offensive coordinator. How do you think that's going to work? How big of a downgrade is that for McDaniels? I think it's a pretty sizable downgrade. You know, I mean... Uh, we saw Gase work with Ryan Tannehill for a few years, and immediately after Tannehill left, he started playing better. <laughs> I'm just telling you the facts. Hey, he worked with Peyton Manning, too. <laughs> yeah, I, look, Daryl, I'm not sold on Adam Gase. I, I'm really not. Um, I think it's a sizable downgrade from Josh McDaniels. 
So Mac Jones' life just got a little bit harder. Uh, also, Anthony Lent, he's going to be the assistant coach for the San Francisco 49ers now. How good of a move do you think that is for San Fran? I'm feeling good about it. I mean, you know, I, I think he's got talent to work with there. Um, there are definitely some parts. Um, you know, I think Kyle Shanahan is a solid coach. I'm not as high on him as you are. I think he's um, a guy that tends to fade away a little bit in big games. But, you know, maybe maybe that's, um, an, you know, something Lynn can support him with a little bit. Will the Vikings regret not making more of a pursuit of Jim Harbaugh? One thousand percent, they're going to regret it, and they're going to regret it because I, I, I think Kevin McConnell was a strikeout for them. I'm, I'm not sure the guy's even qualified to be a head coach in the NFL. I'm really bad. Ben still, dude, this baffles Ben. The McConnell stuff baffles Ben. Well, you got an opportunity to get a guy that's been to three NFC championships in four years. I think Jim is a guy that could have made the Vikings relevant. I think he could have made them relevant as early as next season. And I think within two or three seasons, he could have them competing. Um, you know, in a division that's probably going to be wide open here coming up. You know, if Aaron Rodgers moves on from the Packers, which I believe he will, the entire division opens up. And Minnesota, in my opinion, is the front-running team now. If Jim Harbaugh would have been hired by the Vikings over or under one and a half in NFC Championship game appearances. And how many seasons coaching them? However, however many he stays. Until he gets fired or retires or leaves, um, I would I would say over. I mean, I think the Bronco, uh, the Buccaneers are a little bit on the decline now with Brady retiring and Gronk probably heading out. Uh, Packers, I think, could be on the downturn if Rodgers leaves. Um, Seattle is already on the downturn. Forty uh, ers have some questions at quarterback. I mean, really, I think the Rams are the only uh, team out there you really have to beat. I mean, right now, I mean, maybe Dallas, uh, if Coach uh, Coach McCarthy can get them turned around. Um, but, you know, I, I think Dallas is certainly winnable. And, yeah, I, I think he could be competing against Sean McVay and the Rams in the, in the NFC Championship within the next couple of years if he's been the coach. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then come up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to talk a little bit about Tom Brady retiring. Got up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Ben Karen with us, host of the Sports Grappler Podcast. So, Ben, last time I had you on the podcast, it was not official. Brady had not retired. 
you we were texting back and forth. Uh, there were a lot of rumors that were coming out that were swirling in the air. Then Brady came out and said, hold your horses. I'm not retired yet. Uh, Bruce Arians said, I'm not retired. Brady's dad even came out and said, I'm not retired. Then Brady comes out a couple days later and says, I'm retired. How crazy was that from how the story got broke to how the Brady camp recanted till then it finally came back out that he retired? How crazy was that? Well, I didn't think it was all that crazy, to be honest with you, Daryl. The vibe I got was he wanted to do it kind of on, on his own timeline uh, and do things the way he wanted to do them, go off the way he wanted to. Um, but, you know, it's, it's too bad that that kind of got botched because I, I did kind of feel like, hey, you know, what's going on? And he had... At first, it was like very clear. Then they recanted it, and, and so on, and so forth. My thing is, why not just say it then? Schefter obviously got the scoop. Well, I'm not sure he knew 100. percent These I, decisions are hard for these guys, Daryl. I mean, look at Brett Favre. The number of years he went back and forth. That's true. Schefter probably got it. I don't think Schefter got it from Brady, but Schefter probably got it from somebody very close to Tom Brady, I would assume. Probably, you know, and, and it's hard to say. I'm not even sure it's uh, Brady's decision to make. I think his family might have forced him into this. Yeah, about that. How much of this do you think is Giselle? Giselle? Oh, 100%. I, I think Brady keep playing for sure if his family didn't pressure him Really? So, Ben, how, how, how can Tom finagle that? Is there any way Tom can finagle that at home and get back out there on the field for all of us? I don't think so at this point in time. I mean, we've seen other guys kind of, you know, have a comeback after they sat out or something of that nature. Uh, but for Brady, I mean, point blank, the guy's already 44 years old. He's going to be 45 by the time next year starts. Um, at that point in time, I think that, you know, it's just time to call it a career and move on. But when he's sitting on his couch and the NFL season starts, he's going to get that itch. He's addicted to the process. His whole adult life, all he's done is football. This guy loves to prepare. hes I don't think he's going to be satisfied or fulfilled doing many other things. Well, and, and it's hard, Daryl. Once, once you get a family, though, you know, some of your priorities and your expectations, those things shift. Um... You know, and at the end of the day, the NFL is a job for people, you know, and, and uh, most people, hopefully, the family come before your job. I still think it's crazy. I mean, he has the rest till, like, August to spend time with his family. I think there's more to this story than just the family thing. He might, he might have gotten an injury that we haven't heard about. Maybe he's just sick of playing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, a lot of different different things to, to consider. I, I also think his wife's probably tired of getting him head. He mentioned that. I think maybe that might have something to do with it. Because I can't imagine, as busy as he is during the season, like, that's like half, like, I don't know. I, I, I think, and I imagine the family thing is a big part of it too, but I think probably the, the violence of the game, maybe his wife's getting annoyed with that. Because they were showing some pics of her as she's watching the game and they're playing the Rams and she seemed kind of excited that they were getting blown out. 
She was like, yes, it's over. Yeah, but it's hard to say. It is hard to say what's going on behind closed doors. Um, I think Brady would still play if, if the decision was solely in, in his wheelhouse. How many more years do you think Brady could play at a high level? Uh, probably one to two. I think the, the end is near. And quite honestly, Daryl, I think when we look back on this for him, I think it's kind of better if this goes out this way than, than continuing to play. What will you remember most about Tom Brady? Uh, postseason success. <laughs> That's what Ben remembers, folks. The rings. When you started watching Tom Brady, it's crazy, right? Because if it comes full circle, 2001, and you're watching him do what he's doing, and now we're in 2022. Like, Just kind of put that all in perspective, Ben. Yeah, I mean... Uh, just as you said, you know, the, the, your entire, Tom's entire adult life, right, he's played football. Well, the vast majority of my life that I've watched football, about, you know, 20 out of the last 25 years or so, Tom Brady's been a part of that. Uh, and most years, it's been the championship discussion. Uh, so, you know, that just, that just kind of goes to show you, you know, how long he's, he's dominated for. Uh, and when we, when we talk about Tom, we're talking about a guy that's, uh, you know, won seven Super Bowls, won with multiple teams. Um, when, when this all started, I was in junior high, Daryl. Um, you know, <laughs> now, now I'm a dad. I'm in my 30s. Um, so this is crazy. You know, I've, I've grown up watching Tom Brady play the game of football. What made Tom Brady special or different? Well, I think uh, the, the biggest thing, at least early on, was the the big high-pressure moments just never seemed to phase him. And he was just the ultimate competitor no matter what. Um, early in his career, specifically, I mean, we watched him, you know, three times within like a four-year span. Go down the game, go down the field late in the game, get his team into position for game-winning field goals. Essentially, three walk-off field goals. You know, and, and, and then we saw um, how clutch he was again in in the uh, Super Bowl that I want to remember where he came back against my Seahawks. And then we saw again huge deficit at halftime against the Atlanta Falcons. He came back, they won that game in overtime. Um, so I think just, you know, these moments, high-pressure moments, and, the, and he's just... Where has never been phased by them, Daryl. He's one of the most clutch players I've ever seen. Even against the Rams. He almost pulled it off again. Exactly. In a game they were getting dominated, and then all of a sudden, the fourth quarter, they're back there, and 12 is giving you a chance again. The thing for me that's always going to stand out is, and obviously the posting success, I feel like that's so easy to mention, uh, it just so encompasses Brady's career because he's had so much of it. The AFC East titles, the AFC Championship game appearances, the AFC Championship titles, let alone the Super Bowls, the Super Bowl MVPs, the MVPs. But for me, how long he was able to play at such a high level, he shattered that mark. Max Kellerman said this man was going to fall off a cliff, and he's done something that no player in NFL history probably will ever accomplish. I mean, he was one of the five best quarterbacks in the league 
all the way till he was 44 years old. When Peyton Manning turned 40, he was a bum, respectfully to Peyton Manning. When Drew Brees turned 40, he was a bum, respectfully to Drew Brees. When Brett Favre turned 40, he was a bum, respectfully to Brett Favre. Those are three of the, what, 10 greatest quarterbacks that ever played the game? Maybe Drew Brees in a little bit lower top 15. Those are three first ballot Hall of Famers, three guys who were special. Three guys who all coincided with Brady at some point during their careers. And Brady outlasted all of them. By like five, six years. Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were contemporaries. And Peyton Manning just entered the Hall of Fame. That means he's been retired for five years. And Brady has been playing those five years at an elite level. And he's still going to play longer at an elite level. That's the most special thing about Brady. Right. Well, the way he goes, he's retiring too. You know, retiring was still on top. I think the... Um that enigma, that almost that myth will follow him the way it does Michael Jordan. You know, when we look at Michael, we say, man, what could have happened if he'd have one more season with a bowl? And I know you think they would have lost and fallen off the cliff, uh, but I'm telling you, there's fans out there that think Mike would have seven rings. You know, and I think people could sit, you know, sit around someday. Uh, similarly, with Tom Brady and say, man, would he be able to get number eight if he'd been around for two more years with, with a Buccaneer? That is true. I didn't think about it that way. Just like Michael Jordan, Brady kind of will have that mystique. I mean, but then again, Michael Jordan came back out of retirement and played with the Wizards. So we're gonna we could see that. Is Brady gonna come out of retirement and play for the Niners? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I'm pretty sure Brady's done. <laughs> what happens if Giselle ends up? He convinces Giselle and she gives him the green light. For one more year. Let, let's say he's at the home too much. Because here, here's what can happen too. Sometimes everybody misses you when you're gone. But when you get there, they're like, ah, it, it was a little bit more, uh, we enjoyed it more when you weren't home. Maybe you should go back and do the football thing one more year. Well, I mean, I think I think if he does come back to the Buccaneers one more year, I think they, they have a, an opportunity to win a, win a Super Bowl. What was your favorite Brady moment, Ben? Mm, man, that is... Or you can give a few. A few. A few that come to mind. I would say... For me, one of the most special moments was the first time he did it. Uh, the first Super Bowl... Um, you know, having that, that very first opportunity to shine under the light. Um, and, and let us not forget when that happened, too. He was playing the greatest show on turf. Uh, a very good St. Louis Rams team. Kurt Warner was the MVP. Uh, they had Marshall Falk, Derek Corey Holt. Just stars all over the field. Uh, and here Tom Brady is at the end of this game. Drives the team down the field. They get the, the game-winning field goal. You know, and, and, and um, it was just something that, that was very special to watch, you know, because I'm from New England, um, and the Patriots never won before. And just watching this guy cap off this remarkable season, um, nobody ever heard of him until partway through the season when he started playing, and Drew uh, Bloodstone went down. 
I would also have to say, though, in, in all fairness, an honorable mention is him throwing the Lombardi Trophy from yacht to yacht with Cameron Brady. Oh, yeah. That has to be one of the most gutsy things I think I've ever seen. So we're going to... You gonna... know I'm a big fan for that moment, Daryl. Oh, well, yeah. Bro, Brady was, you know, absolutely hammered when he was doing that. But uh, I, I do understand why that, that was a little gutsy to do that to the Lombardi Super Bowl trophy. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And then kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to talk a little college football. Kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Ben Karen with us. So, Ben, Jimbo Fisher. You know where I'm going with this, Ben? I think I know where you're going. <laughs> he had a very, can, can we agree, a passionate press conference a few days ago where he uh, he slammed guys like Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin told him to mind their own business as he does it by the book. Lane Kiffin made some allegations that, you know, some schools are paying players with NIL to go and just go wherever the most money is. And Jimbo just went scorched earth on everybody. What were your thoughts of all that? And also, well, how, how good of a press conference rant was that? Yeah, it, it, was, it was a good one. It was definitely one for the, um, one for the books. Um, as far as things go, you, you know, Guys like, uh, you know, Kiffin, for instance, I mean, I don't know what he's complaining about. He just got off beating my team anyways. Um, you know, and, and the average person is probably going to want to go to Texas and m Probably. And then you look at Nick Saban and it's like, why is he getting involved with it? You know, the, the same could certainly be said for Nick and what he's doing at Alabama. Um, and I just, it, it, it bothers me in the sense that who these guys are, they're, they're talking pump smack about Texas A&M and this and that, they have no real evidence, and also, it's just like, they're almost kind of, sound like slow losers to me, or people that are jealous. It'd be one thing if they had evidence, but they don't have any. Well, Ben, so do you not believe that they're paying players the NIL? If Jimbo says they're doing it by the books, they're doing it by the books. Okay, I'll be honest. I, I, th- I think I think Jimbo's a load of crap, respectfully. I think Jimbo's full of it. <laughs> now, I think Lane Kiffin's trying to pay people, too. But I, I just don't believe they have NIL and everybody's doing it by the book. Well, I mean, uh, do we really think Nick Saban... Oh, I don't think he's doing it by the book either. I think any coach who says that, because obviously the whole thing with NIL is you can do it once the player gets on campus, but you can't say in the recruiting process, oh, we can get you a certain amount of dollars. I do not believe that conversation is not taking place. I I, I just won't believe it. I think every coach is doing that. So I, I think 
Jimbo's full of it, but I also think Lane's full of it for bringing it up because Lane's doing the same thing Jimbo's doing. There's nothing Jimbo's doing that Lane's not trying to do. <laughs> or Nick's not trying to do. And I'm sure there's other reasons he mentioned that A&M's a high-class university. I agree with that. All that's fine and dandy, but I, I am sure, you know. Well, we've had, you know, pretty good success on the football field, too, over the last couple Two years ago, they almost made it into the playoffs. Then, you know, this past year was a little bit of a down year for them. Uh, but you know, still managing to, to beat Alabama, uh, one of the best teams in the country, uh, and doing so with a backup quarterback is pretty impressive. And, and you also mentioned this, A&M. They have a lot of oil money. I, I'm just, there's probably a lot of rich alumni there who can maybe do a sponsorship for a car dealership. I'm sure that's being mentioned. I'm sure that that's uh, in no way a problem for them right now. Yeah. And, and that might be, quote-unquote, against the rules, but everybody's doing it, so I don't have an issue with it. But I do think it's a little funny how Jimbo's coming up there and saying, oh, we do everything by the book. I don't believe that anybody in college football's doing it completely by the book. Well, I mean, what's he going to say Oh, well, he, he can't say, like, yeah, I cheat, they cheat, we all cheat. Jimbo can't say that. But I, I'm just saying, I, I reject that. I, I don't think anybody's doing it completely by the book. Is that fair to say? Um, I mean, I wouldn't know enough about that particular thing to give a real educated answer. But I, I you know... A&M happens to get a really good recruiting class one year, and people are jumping on them. To me, it just sounds like jealousy. Oh, I think it is. I think that's jealousy, too. I mean, Lane probably wanted some of those players. And he probably recruited some of those players hard. I mean, what's what's next? Are we going to be accusing people of Jackson State of that as well? They got one of the top players in the country. They did. I think Jackson State did do that. <laughs> I believe they did do that. Dude, I don't hear anybody talking about that. So I guess what your issue is, you understand why everybody's having an issue when it's A and M. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, somebody. I don't hear Blaine talking about Alabama. Is it possible that Lane's just trying to start stuff with Jimbo? Because he thinks Jimbo, he perceives that he can overtake Jimbo and not Saban. So it's like he doesn't want to get, get have that battle with Nick because he fears Nick. He doesn't fear Jimbo. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I, I, I do not think, you know, I mean, what I said was Jimbo is going to be a So let's go to this. Uh, by the way, you know Cincinnati is going to close public schools the day after the Bengals play in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I'm aware. I heard about that. Are, are, are you for that or against that, Ben? Uh, you know what? I mean, I, I'm for it. You know, we've been through a lot, Bill, pandemic the last couple of years. 
let Cincinnati enjoy having the Bengals in the Super Bowl. What's the problem? The kids can go back on Tuesday. So Jim Harbaugh is going to stay at Michigan. He said that, uh, you know, this is probably was his last chance to go to the NFL. Do you believe that? No, I don't believe it's his last chance to go to the NFL. Or this is the last time he's going to seriously consider it. That's maybe the way, that's the way he's kind of posing this. <clears throat> no, I don't believe that either. I mean, I, I think really what we're looking at there was a guy that would go back to the NFL if the right situation came up. Notice Jim Harbaugh wasn't interviewing with the Houston Texans, at least not that I heard. Um, but he is interested in the Vikings because he perceived that to be a halfway decent situation to walk into. In a way, I think some of this was just a ploy because Jim got mad with Michigan that he had to give up some of his money. He's probably getting a lot of that money back. Uh, I guarantee he's getting it with interest right about now. (laughs) And he's collected on it. He's definitely collecting on it. Uh, Matt Brown uh, is signed a one-year extension uh, with UNC. How do you feel about that? I think it's the right move to make. Um, Mac is getting up there in age. Uh, he's had some success with North Carolina. North Carolina wasn't that good last year. Uh, let's see if he can turn it around. Caleb Williams is going to transfer to USC. Was this the best move for him? Well, it was sure a lot better than him going to Eastern Michigan. <laughs> um, no, no, to answer your question, yes, I think it's the right move for him. Um, clearly, Lincoln Riley believes in this kid. He felt good enough about him to start him in Oklahoma. If he's moving out to USC... I think Lincoln probably had a lot to do with that. I think it says how Lincoln feels about both him and Spencer Rattler. They were both in the transfer portal. He both recruited both of them. He let Spencer go to South Carolina and said, Hey, Caleb, come to USC with me. I think that kind of yeah. shows what he thinks. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I mean, Williams has played pretty well. It's going to be interesting to watch him play some more. I'd like to see that now that he's out. Uh, in my neck of the woods, I'm probably going to get that chance. Ben, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Daryl. It's always a good time. And once again, I want to thank Ben Karen for coming on the show. I always appreciate it when Ben can come on. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 388th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk!